0: What an incredible season, I'll just tell you. We, uh, service was about to start. I think it was 8.30, and it just started coming down today. So how many of you guys came today? You were, when you were walking in, it was raining. Anybody in here? Amen. Have you given your life to Jesus? Do you plan to follow him all the days of your life? You've been rebaptized. Amen, amen. <laughs> I just thought about it as it like started coming down. I was like, man, I guess God has something to say. We, our church needs to be baptized. It's not just a few, nine of us here today. Uh, and there's nine total people for the day that are going to be baptized, which is absolutely awesome. And uh, it's a really cool moment because we talked about in, uh, on Remnant Sunday, February, was it February 21st is when we did it this year. February 21st when we had our uh, um, Vision Sunday this past year, and the statement was, remnant, right? We're going to be an uncompromised people. But one of the things that we're focused on this year is our PSU, Pearl Street University, our big picture of moving people from dead, from the outside, dead in Christ to alive in Christ, and uh, taking it from the outside, looking into the inside, leading out. And this is the first Crew that has gone through that process and has been to open house, uh, been to fundamentals one and two, and then uh, they decided to get baptized through that process, and here we are today. So it's the fruition of the vision coming alive through what we're focused on this year. So it's really, really cool. Now, we have been in a series um, this past couple, well, this will be week number four, called The Family. The Family is so important. Um, to, to God, that man, it should be really important to us. And, and for me, I'm super like, hyper-focused on the family dynamics because I think more so than ever in my heart, uh, I, I clearly understand that so goes the family, so goes society. And that if we have a disengaged generation around the family dynamics we will find that there will be dysfunction that has lived throughout our society. Now, the, the attack on the family has been going down for a long period of time, since the existence of time one, but inside of our nation for, I would say, probably the last 50 to 60 years to try to remove fathers out of the home and uh, get the, the home so focused on everything else other than God so that the, the dynamics of the home will become extremely dysfunctional we talked about in the marriage relationship, if a husband and a wife know Jesus, they're getting the Holy Spirit in their lives. And when you got the Holy Spirit, you can't operate sinfully towards your spouse, right? You're not going to be over here like, I hate you, verbally abusing, physically abusing. It's not going to happen, right? you got the Holy Spirit and you love peace, patience, kindness, self-control, right? All these variables, right, that are, are good qualities, and you're going to operate in the direction of your spouse as God has intended. Now, what has happened is our family dynamics has completely been obliterated, and we got an entire uh, country, by and large, that is focused on gaining and attaining, building their kingdom here on this earth, and in that dynamic, the relationship its if you're hindering me from doing what I'm, I'm, my kingdom I'm building, I'm just going to discard you. If you're causing me problems, I'm just going to verbally or physically abuse you, and it creates dysfunction inside of the home. Now, here we are with a whole bunch of alcoholics, addicted individuals, the home is just chaotic. We have generations that have grown up in chaos. And so here's where we're at today in our country. We're in our country today that's saying, hey, we got solutions for man's problems, but it's man's ideas for man's problems. And I've always been a person, the Bible is yay and amen. It is yes and amen, it is true. And so we're not looking for man's ideas on how to solve man's problems, we gotta get to the word. All right? If we got the word for if we got God's uh, issue or we got God's um, solutions, there you go for man's problems. We're going to be in a good place as a people, right? So the focus on the family is so important. It is the oldest and it is one of the most sacred institutions, the home, and we have to understand that. So we're going to jump into that today. We are in the series, the family. If you want to take notes, um, you can write this across the top of your paper. The language of our forefathers, the language of our forefathers. Now, here's the deal. I'm not preaching today, which is awesome. (laughs) As I told you guys last week, I reached out to a friend of mine, uh, well, a friend of mine's dad, and I know him, Galen Woodward, in uh, Citizens Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I asked him, hey, would you be okay if we use your stuff? We can't bring you in right now, but we would love to use your stuff. And so uh, he, he gracefully let us use it. And I was looking at this message that he started off when he wrote this book, and I'll just show it to you guys. And I, uh, it's such a great book because it's coming from a spiritual perspective on the family dynamic. And so this message I wanted to show you guys today, if I thought I could do it better, I would be preaching it. Don't get me wrong, I love preaching. <laughs> But uh, uh, the way he goes about it, he's passionate, and uh, it's a book that he wrote that God has placed on his heart, and he just does a, such a great job. He's a, now a grandfather. He's uh, been a father of three uh, men, and uh, you know he just has experience that I don't have, and he says it really well. So I'm going to let him say it via video. And then uh, we'll come back up at the end, and uh, we're going to pray over you guys in the home as we close out the day. We're not going to be bringing kids in today, but I want to do something very specific for married couples in the house at the end of this service here today. So would you guys tune in? And let me just say this also. Make sure if you want this book, go to galenwoodward.org, and you can order it there. galenwoodward.org, and you can order it there. It is an incredible book, especially if you are a parent. It's going to help you and encourage you, that is for sure. but check out Pastor Galen, and I'll be back up right after he's done.
1: may be seated.: Hey, well, I am very excited about being with you for the next few weeks talking about family. It's one of my great passions in life, and so uh, I hope you thoroughly enjoy it. I want to just bounce off of what Pastor Dustin said. Uh, you may be here, you may be in middle school, high school, young adult, married, not married, children, no children. Uh, I, will, uh, I will form these and frame these messages of where these principles will apply to everyone's life. So don't check out if you feel like you're, you don't have children and this doesn't apply to you because it's a biblical principle on relationships and I hope that uh, you're here every week. The premise of this book that I have written is raising leaders. Uh, We as parents, we need to label ourselves as parent leaders. Uh, And what we're doing is we're raising leaders. One of the things that I question a lot, why would we who label ourselves as Christian people, empowered with the Holy Spirit, raise kids who are followers? Why would we do that? If If we are empowered by the Spirit, and we are showing them the way of the Spirit, then we should be raising children that rise up, and they're going to lead, and they're going to lead this nation, one of the things that is highly alarming to me right now is that in the last several years, there has been a a growing and a rising hostility against Christianity in our own nation. have never, ever seen that before in my lifetime, but we're beginning to see it now. And so what we need to be, uh, be really in, in tune with at this point is that we're going to be more focused on family, family life, and raising godly children more so than we ever have in our lives. Uh, I want to just go through the contents of the, of the book real quick, the table of contents. And uh, as this comes up behind me, uh, there is the first section, which which is more than kind of the uh, introduction. Then the main focus of the book is in section two and section three. When you take a look at this, Uh, I've tried to, in this book, make parenting as easy as I possibly can, and I have identified four things that I believe that godly parents must master in their own lives. This has nothing to do with your children. It has to do with you as a leader. And the four things that I have identified are these four things. It's leadership, intentionality, discipline. And when I talk about discipline, Is how to discipline how to do it correctly how for mom and dad to be on the same page of discipline which uh, doesn't happen a lot of the time and then the last thing consistency and what I found from my own parents growing up that was the greatest force of influence in their lives and in my life was their consistency then moving on to the next section I shift gears and I start talking about how we raise generational leaders. And this is what I want us to focus on. And I also have tried to make this as simple as possible in identifying what makes leaders, our children growing up, what creates that. And I believe there are five characteristics that we must instill into them for them to be solid, uh, to be confident and to rise up and lead like God has created them to be. And these five things, this is what we find. Confidence, honor, let me pause there for a moment. I'm going to speak on this in just a couple of weeks. And this is one of the most powerful uh, chapters in this book. Because it's the lost trait of America today, and you're going to find this incredibly intriguing. Uh, The next one is integrity, courage, vision. What I'm talking about there is creating visionaries in our lives, in our families, visionaries with our kids. And then there's another chapter later on in the book. There's 14 chapters all together. And one of my favorite is how to pray for our children. And this becomes uh, the powerful chapter of of transforming our children through the power of prayer. And then I end the book kind of giving insight behind uh, the preacher's door of his own house. And this is to PKs, preacher's kids. And if you want to kind of understand preacher kids, uh, then this is going to be an intriguing chapter for you as well. So that's, uh, that's, again, the premise of the book. And the book, again, is entitled A Matter of Time. Let me talk about time for a moment. Time is the most common word in the English language. We use it all the time. We track time by our watches and clocks and calendars. You'll find that time is constant and it is consistent. And when it talks and when it, when we think about time, all of us have this one small amount of time that is allotted to us. And we must understand that not one moment of the time that we have on this earth can be wasted. But it is investing and investing in the things that are are highly important in life. You try to define time and it becomes very difficult. Because time is interwoven into every aspect of life. Even in every breath that you take. Time is attached to that. And so time is is an interesting topic. When you think about the Greeks, they define time with two different words. They did a much better job than what we did in the English language. The first word that they use is chronos. Chronos is, is the part of time that is linear, sequential, systematic, It is second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour, that it never slows down, time never speeds up. It's just consistent. The second word that the Greeks had for time is kairos. Kairos is the human element of time. It's where we begin to make special moments and special memories in the midst of the ticking of the clock. It's the kairos part that brings the life to the time in which we live in. Have you ever had one of those days where everything came off the rails? I mean, it was a really, really bad day. You were stressed out. You were were filled with anxiety. You were edgy. Uh, Man, you were grumpy. And I mean, it was just a bad, bad day. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a friend says some really kind words to you. Maybe out of nowhere, your husband just sends you flowers for no other reason but to say, I love you. Or your child climbs up in your lap and just wants to cuddle the person that he loves the most in life. Or maybe it's your boss that calls you out in front of all of your peers and he talks about what a great job you have done. You see, those are kairos moments that in the ticking of the clock, moments you'll never forget... Memories that you will have for the rest of your life It's those special moments It's words that roll over you that bring healing to your soul You see parents we need to have more of the Kairos moments in life Of where we're seeking out every day who we can pour into Adding to their life adding to their base of memories and and good thoughts One of the first things that I think that we must really understand in being parents is that we are image bearers. We are bearing an image to our children, but what image are we bearing to them? It's incredible to think about the day that your child was born, and you're there in the hospital, and and it's the moment that nurses start coming in, and, and family members after the birth, It may be your your parents and grandparents. And when they see your baby for the very first time, this is what is normally said. Oh, my goodness. She looks just like her mother. Or he looks just like his father. He's got his eyes, his nose, his chin. He looks just like you. The reason why is because when you were created, you were created in the image of God. But not only that, you were created and formed in the likeness of your parents. As your children begin to grow, they will look like you, act like you, talk like you, walk like you. And we have this enormous responsibility to mold and to shape our children. Here's a phrase that I want you to remember, that if you do not reflect the image of God then you're not equipped for parenthood. And that's something that we must understand because parenthood is the most serious thing you will ever do in life. And by how you raise them and by how you speak to them is going to determine what they're going to do in life and how they'll function in life. Also, do you realize that our children's concept of God, how they're gonna view God for the rest of their lives derives from your behavior because as a child is young if their father is generous and faithful they will have this tendency to believe that God is generous and faithful if you as a parent are moral and kind and forgiving then they're going to have this tendency to view God in the very same way that he's moral and kind and forgiving and they tend to believe who God is by how they view you the question is, what image are you bearing to your children? It was several years ago. It was after a Sunday morning service. I was out in the atrium talking to different people. There was a family that came up and just started a conversation. And they told me their story, how they moved here from Mexico several years ago. And could not speak English at all. And they had learned the language, wanted to become citizens. And it was an intriguing story. As they were talking, I I said, well, hey, let me just ask you, your two daughters that are here, are they bilingual? And the father smiled, and he said, you know, he said, they're not. They're not, because we never speak English in our home anymore. As the conversation continued on, I thought, what a shame. What a shame that is that the parents speak two languages in the home But the children are growing up losing an important part of their heritage because the parents are no longer speaking the language of their ancestors, and they're losing it. There's also another story in the Bible, Nehemiah, when you find the story of of Jerusalem that was invaded by the Babylonians, and when they came in, they came in to destroy it, to annihilate it, that Jerusalem would never stand again. And they came in and killed thousands, and then they took hundreds of the youngest, most brightest, back to Babylon to train them to be assistants and servants. When they left Jerusalem, that army burned the city, dismantled the city, and there was not a block standing upon another block. The walls were completely destroyed. Now, many, many years later, Nehemiah in Hebrew had this burning desire and had heard all the stories about how magnificent Jerusalem was, and he wanted it to be restored so badly, and he wanted to play a part in that. So he was going back to rebuild the walls of the city. When he arrived for the first time of viewing the city, it was far more devastating than what he anticipated it being. He rolled around that city on a donkey. He saw that there was a remnant of Jewish people still living in that rubble. All of those years in extreme poverty, barely surviving. As he continued riding around the city, assessing the damage and how much it would take to rebuild those walls. He saw Hebrew children playing in the rubble and jumping from stone to stone. And he stopped the donkey. And he watched and he listened to these Hebrew children as they laughed and played and jumped. And then he identified that they were no longer speaking Hebrew. They were speaking a language of Ashdod. And the reason why is because the men began to marry women from a pagan society that was a violation of God's will. And marrying into another culture that that despised the God of Israel, now these children are no longer speaking Hebrew. They're speaking another language. And And it incensed Nehemiah because he realized that it had pulled them away from the language of their ancestors and they would never hear about Jehovah God. You see, the very same thing is happening in the Christian home in America today. What is happening is that in the Christian home, that there are children that are growing up that cannot articulate the language of the Bible. That we have children growing up in Christian homes that cannot even really explain the system and the pattern of salvation that is so simple and so basic. And what makes this even more difficult parenting today is this constant flow of secular indoctrination that comes from social media politics schools and universities that are pushing an agenda that is contrary to the teachings of the word of god a statistic that i have that i have followed for many many years and i'm watching it over all of these years continue to increase and here is the statistic Is that in Christian homes in America, church going families, that when our kids graduate from high school and they go into a secular university, now it has risen to where 70% of our Christian kids sitting under the influence of a university are walking away from church and walking away from God. And we have found ourselves in a place of tragedy. I want to read some words from Moses as he begins to to train and and teach on parenting. And I want you to listen to what he says in Deuteronomy six, starting with verse four. He says, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. He was instructing us four times a day, proclaim the word of God in some manner, in some way. Also, I want you to, to look at as he writes this, he has not chosen four random times But it's very specific and very intentional that it's when they go to bed and they get up in the morning and they're sitting around the house bored or they're just going somewhere for us. It may be just driving around, no place to go, just killing time. What he's pulling out here are the moments of the day of where our mind is idle. It's a downtime when we're vulnerable and temptation is at its greatest. And Moses was saying that if we will train our children that in those downtimes, when the the attack is the strongest, that they will have the power of God's word to fight against the temptation that comes in their lives. As you speak to your children, your voice carries tremendous power, tremendous love, and, and, and giving them tremendous confidence as you just simply speak into their lives. Let me give you an example of the power of human words. Many years ago, there was a coach, Vince Lombardi for the Green Bay Packers, and very, very well known. He was out on the practice field, and there was a rookie his first year in the NFL, Jerry Kramer. He was out there, and and all of a sudden, the coach comes rushing out on the field and verbally unloads on Jerry Kramer, screaming at him about how he's giving little effort, how he's an embarrassment to the team. He's not blocking. You're not, you have no energy. And he says, Get off my field. And Jerry Kramer, his first season, lowers his head and walks off the field and goes to the locker room. An hour later, Vince Lombardi walks into the locker room, sees Jerry Kramer still sitting on the bench with his uniform still on. He walks over to him and he puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, Jerry, I want you to know that what I said out there, I fully mean. You were a disgrace to us all. But I also want you to know this, I'm going to make you a promise today that I'm going to stick with you, that I'm not going to to leave you alone. I'm going to be like a shadow you cannot get get rid of, and I'm going to stick with you until you become a great football player. Those words that came out of that coach's mouth caused Jerry Kramer to lift his head and sit up straight. And he felt better about, about the whole situation and realized there was hope. In fact, he felt so much better that Jerry Kramer went on to be one of the greatest football players that has ever played the game. When you think about a story like that, or maybe you're identifying a story in your own life where someone invested in you by their words, and it changed your life, the, the enormous power that we have as humans enormous. But if we carry that kind of power, what kind of power does God's word have in our lives? And I want you to reflect all the way back to the very beginning of time in Genesis chapter one. And when God began to speak things into existence that did not exist, I want you to think about this. And he says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. There was no such thing as light. And then he simply spoke it into existence. In chapter one of Genesis, six different times, it says, and God said, in verse six, in verse nine, in verse 11, in verse 14, in verse 20, in verse 24, and God said, and every time God said something, he spoke something into existence that did not exist. And what we find in chapter one is that the power of God flows from his lips. It goes on to say in chapter one, that he created you in his own image, in the image of God, you were created. And and here you find that, that when God created us, Is that he did not create us as little gods. But he did the next best thing. And that we are a reflection of God. We carry attributes of God. We're an optical counterpart of God. But the best thing that he did for us. Was that he gave us a portion of his power. To create things with our mouth that we can create things that do not exist today, but will exist tomorrow by simply speaking it into existence. There is a story that I have told here many, many times, but I'm gonna tell it again because I want to drive home a point to you. When our boys were just little boys, I did every night I walked into their bedroom as they were going to bed and trying to tuck them in and talking with them, praying with them. But every night I would lay my hand on their chest, sitting on the bed next to Dustin as a little boy. I would say, Dustin, do you know what your name means? And then I would tell him, your name means champion. It means warrior. That you're going to rise up one day and you're going to be a warrior for the kingdom of God. You're going to be bold and brave and courageous and that you're going to lead. Dustin, your name means leader. And what that means is that all the way through school that you will never follow others, but they will always follow you. I would get up and go to the next room and sit down by Jonathan on his bed. And I would lay my hand on the chest of a little boy. And I would say, John, do you know what your name means? It means God's gift. Jonathan, do you know what that means? Is that all the days of your life... As long as you're here on this earth, you are a gift to every single person that comes in contact with you. Jonathan, your name means intelligence. It means brilliant that you are brilliant, that everything you touch in life is going to flourish and it's going to move forward and you're going to be successful in everything you do. All of your life, you will be known as faithful and loyal friend to all. Then I would go to the next bed where Brandon was laying and I would lay my hand on Brandon's chest. And I would say, Brandon, do you know what your name means? Your name means beacon of light. It means lighthouse. Brandon, you are like a bright light and people will be attracted to you from all directions. You are like a a, a bright light on a hill, a bright light on a hill where all may see bringing hope to those that know you. What is so amazing about that so many years later is that if you know our three boys, they live in extreme detail to what I spoke over them as little boys because i was speaking and uh, i was speaking of what did not exist that one day would exist the power that god has given to us as a follower of christ most of my life and many of you will identify with this if you have served christ for a long time is that there are these marked moments that you have these spiritual encounters that you hold on to. I mean, it's those moments when you have, I mean, an encounter with God that you know, that you know, that you know, that you have met God in that place. And there are several marked moments, like five of them in my lifetime that I could tell you in detail about each one of those. It happened when I was five years old, when I was 13, when I was 21, when I was 30, And when I was 50, but I had another spiritual encounter just a few weeks ago, sitting here with you on a Sunday morning in that seat right there. It was the Sunday morning that Brandon and Delaney were announcing that they were launching a new church in Washington, D.C. And there they were casting the vision to all of us. And as he was talking on stage and as I was sitting in that seat, the screen came up behind me, and I'm looking at, at this screen, and all of a sudden, the voices on the stage almost seemed muffled to me, that I wasn't even hearing the words that were being spoken. I was so riveted and, and so focused on what I was looking at. A new church, Union City Church, in Washington, D.C., one of the darkest spiritual places in our nation. Washington, D.C., referred to as the hill, and the logo that they had chosen was a colonial lantern, a light. And then all of a sudden, it's like something took my breath, and I realized that that was the fulfillment of 25 years ago, When I laid my hand on a five-year-old boy and said, you will be a light on a hill in a dark place and the multitudes will draw to you. Some people would say coincidence, but let me tell you what it is. It is a principle, biblical principle, that is laid out for us to use. That we can mold and we can shape our children's future by the words we are speaking in their lives today. In fact, it's such a powerful principle that God himself uses it. Have you ever seen this in Scripture? In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17, this Scripture to set it up is when we arrive in heaven. And that we all will stand at what is called the judgment seat of Christ, one on one with Christ. And then at the end of that, this is what it says. To the one who is victorious, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. What is being said here is that when you were in your mother's womb being knit together by God himself, that he gave you a secret name that he calls you by a name that nobody else has ever heard. And on that day, you stand one-on-one with Christ as you enter into heaven. He says that's the day that he will reveal to you the name that he has given to you, and that you will be known throughout eternity by that name. And I don't know about you, but I cannot wait until I hear the name that God has for me. And in the same way, your children long to hear the name that you have for them for my grandchildren I have a name that I have given every one of them for them it may sound a little silly and a little goofy but it's not for me because that name that I have given them is how that I pray for each one of them you see in my mind I know what the name means And I know how to pray for them, believing what their future is going to be. The Apostle Paul talked about the gift of prophecy. If you were here last week, Pastor Dustin spoke on this very thing, the gift of prophecy, which was phenomenal. I want to read to you what prophecy is. and I want everyone to focus for a moment, and this is what I want you to understand the most powerful parent principle that I have ever come across. It says here, but the one who prophesies, there's that weird, strange word, speaks to people for their strengthening, their comforts, their encouragement. Prophesying is not weird and spooky. Prophesying means of where you speak into someone's life. When you speak, you're building them up. You're giving them faith. You're giving them hope. You're giving them confidence. And that is what prophecy is. You'll find that many times when you're with someone, there will be like the unction of the Holy Spirit, the prompting of the Spirit to speak and to begin to speak life into someone's life and it is life changing when it happens. One of the examples in the Word of God about prophecy is found in the Old Testament, in the story of Ezekiel when God gave him this this vision of where he's standing out on the desert floor, and as far as he can see, it's nothing but sand, blowing sand, and he notices that bones, human remains, scatter all over. The floor of that desert he realizes that at some time and somewhere that that there had been a massacre of of life and now God speaks to him and in verse three God asked Ezekiel this question he said son of man can these bones live and don't you know Ezekiel wanted to say of course not I mean, these bones are bleached white by the sun for years and years and years. There's no life in these bones. But he was careful in how he spoke. And he says that only God knows. Lord, only you know if there is life. And then in verse five, God says, prophesy to these bones. There's that word prophesy. Prophesy to these bones and say, live. And he spoke the word, live. And the moment he spoke it, those bones began to slide across the sand and they started clanking together, coming together and flesh came up on the bones and up out of the sand rose this mighty army. Speaking something into existence that does not exist. Moms and dads, when you go home today, prophesy over your children. It's not spooky, it's not weird. It is just encouragement. It's beginning to pour into them and and saying, God, let your mighty works be fulfilled in them, but don't make it just a prayer, but they are words that your children will hear and you begin to speak life, live in those children's lives and they'll begin to rise up and they will live according to what you speak. Why would anyone ever doubt the power of the positive word? because there's not one single person in this room today that would doubt the negative, destructive power of negative words, because we've all seen what negative words will do in a child's life. When a child grows up in an abusive home where there's criticism and name calling and where the parent is looking at their child saying, you are nothing but a problem to me. I wish you had never been born You're going to end up in prison just like your uncle. That's where you're headed, prison. You're a disgrace to me and this whole family. And when those words are spoken repeatedly, it begins to alter their destiny and it will haunt them for the rest of their lives. You see, wounded children grow up to be wounded adults and wounded adults never fulfill God's calling in their lives also your tongue is so powerful that it reveals your spiritual level your tongue is a spiritual barometer you know the bible says don't judge lest least you be judged and we're careful no i don't know where they are spiritually i'm not going to judge guys you don't have to judge you can put a bunch of people in one room and just let them start talking. And the Bible says that it will reveal their spiritual level by what comes out of them. In Matthew 12, 34, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what's truly inside of you is going to come out of you. And what is, is, is in a that that will curse and, 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 and malign their children by the words they speak, you're able to tell where they are on a spiritual level. Something else that I wanna share with you very, very quickly. Another dimension of our tongue and how that we speak is in our prayer life. As I mentioned in the very beginning, I have one whole chapter that I have dedicated to praying for your children. And I cannot wait for you to read this chapter, because it will transform everything in your home. You see, when your voice begins to speak to God, your voice activates heaven. It begins to activate God in heaven. And one of the greatest tragedies is our absence of prayer. And that there is this host of heavenly angels that are never dispatched in our children's behalf because we never ask for the angelic help. Do you realize that as you read through the Bible, that there were over 300 encounters that men and women had with angels? In the Bible, when you read about angels, you find that it reveals to us there are three categories of angels. There are the worshiping angels, The witnessing angels and the warring angels. And from the time that my children were young. And even before they were even born. I have prayed God send warring angels to the side of my children. I cannot tell you how many times that I have taken my children to school. Middle school, high school. Dropping them off as they're scrambling to get out of the car with their backpack and their lunch and all of the loose papers, the struggle of getting out of the car and they get out and then they start walking toward the front door of the school, that I was never in a hurry, but I sat there and as they walked, I prayed for them and said, God, send warring angels to walk with my sons today, that as they walk the halls of that school, let a warring angel walk with him. As they sit in their classroom, let there be a warring angel that will stand and guard over them by what they hear and what they experience. God, I pray, let warring angels sit with them during their lunchtime as they interact with other children, guarding their hearts and guarding their minds. And praying over those children, my sons, until they walked through those school doors and they disappeared out of my sight. And then I relaxed, realizing they're out of my sight, but now they're under the covering of a holy God that is protecting my children. You see, power, the power of prayer is what we need to add to our lives. What I want to make so clear today, these little children running around your feet today, you can begin to mold their future. You see, I didn't know exactly what my children would do as an occupation. I just knew that they were going to be leaders. In whatever field they choose, They were going to be spiritual leaders. But you've got to speak it, and you have to speak it to them. And when you declare it, you watch how they start rising up, and they'll live to what you say. Don't ever forget, Mom and Dad, you're their hero. Out of all the people in the world, they love you. They want you more than anything else. You're the hero.
0: Wow. Uh, one of my favorite communicators right there, Pastor Galen Woodward. Um, you know, when he spoke, there were so many things that I just, <laughs> I took as to the dad. And even watching it back, it's just, there's so much power in what said. And I, I mean... As leader of this house, I pray you didn't just sit here and allow these words just to pass over you because there's so much power in what's being said here. You're looking at a 60-year-old man that has lived this. His kids aren't drug addicted. You know, his kids are respectable men accomplishing God's will in their life. But he took responsibility as a father and as you know, his wife and mother, and they lived it, and how important the home is. I'm telling you, the home is immensely important. So many things said in here. Wounded children grow up to be wounded adults. Wounded adults will wound people around them and wound the children underneath them. It's where it's so important as husbands and wives, parents, to understand this. If you are not right with Jesus... If you have things lurking on the inside of your heart, it's time to stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. It's time to start diving in and say, why am I wounded? Why do I have this issue? Why do I harbor this anger? Why do I harbor this resentment? Why am I a greedy person? Why am I a person that struggles with pornography? Why am I this? Because I do not want to repeat the behaviors. The generational dysfunction is stopping with me because I know Jesus Christ. Amen? It stops with us. No more excuses. Right? So goes our home. So goes our society. And we're fighting not just for us and our lives and our salvation, we are fighting for the salvation of the next generation. Amen. So let's all stand up to our feet here today. And I just want to pray over you guys and want to pray over you. Fathers and mothers, your home is so important. Right, as he says in here, and you got to get this book because there's so much good stuff inside of there. And let me just tell you, we'll, we'll just keep on coming back to the family. We'll talk about it twice a year and just like focus on this because it is so important. And it doesn't matter how many times we hear it, we need to hear it more and more so that we can stay focused on the family. As we talk about our priorities in life, you say, it. if you're around Pearl Street Church, you're going to know this. God is number one. He is El Jefe. Number one, numero one. Then The family then the church, then our careers. What does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul, right? You cannot serve both God, in the original text it says, and mammon, the Greek God of, uh, of money. You cannot serve both God and money. You will love one and hate the other. What is the American society doing today? We are serving the God of money at the expense of honoring God with our lives. We're trying to do both and, and we cannot. It's God first, and then we handle all the responsibilities. The home is immensely important. God first, then our families, then the church, then our careers. God first, then our families, then the church, then our careers. So if you are out of alignment and out of balance today, let me just say mother and father. If you are out of alignment, out of balance with those priorities, it's time to have a real conversation with each other. And say, hey, I ha- I'm, I'm focused in the wrong areas. Well, we need to realign some things, right? Hey, you're doing a great job in your, you're doing a great job with your career, but you're losing your family in the process. What does it gain, right? You can be honored by man and lose your salvation with God. I want to be honored by God by being responsible with what He's placed in my hands. Amen. My family is my my, my priority. So let's just pray here today. God, we just come to you, Lord, as fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, gatekeepers of our home. God, I pray today, Lord, that there's conviction through your spirit that is pulling us to a place, a higher level, a higher elevation, God, a higher understanding, God, of this importance. And Lord, today, maybe the excuses of our past no longer excuses that will satisfy our today and our tomorrow. Today, we are going to deal with our issues, our struggles and our pain. Jesus, we come to you with them. Heal us, restore us. Every wound that we have from our childhood, every wound that we have from this life, God, may you heal it through your power and your spirit. Lord, may we become this new creation that you have destined us to be, God, no longer selfish, no longer in, a, in, in darkness, God, but in a motivation to honor you completely. Live in the light and according to your truth, God. And Father, as we flow in righteousness, our lives will honor you. God, we will, we will live a life that honors those around us. And God, we will raise the next generation to be honorable, Father, we love you. We thank you. Empower us, strengthen us here today, God, to do and be all that you've called us to be. The environment of our home to shift and change this day moving forward. Bless our homes. Bless those environments, God. Watch over them and guide them. A hedge of protection around them. God, any plan of the enemy to come in, Father, would be foiled and father anything that we've allowed in any enemy we've allowed in, or anything we are allowing in our homes today that are of the enemy of darkness god i pray that lord we would remove them our house is consecrated to you and only you god in jesus name we pray and everybody
1: says amen, amen. and amen and amen